השם אם לא אכלי אילון ואוהד השם מלך השם עודוך השם אם לא אכלי אילון ואוהד השם מלך השם עודוך השם אם לא אכלי אילון ואוהד השם מלך השם עודוך השם אם לא אכלי אילון Good evening. Thanks for coming. Uh, tonight's class was uh, sponsored by Chava Rachel Krintzman. And this is Lezecha Nishmas, her father, Shmuel Ben Avadia, I think it says over here. I hope uh, it was written down correctly. Yeah, it looks like Avadia. Shmuel Ben Avadia passed away on the 25th. Of Sivan, I don't know if this, it couldn't be, it has been last year, so this 25th Sivan is going to be the yard site. May his neshama have a very, very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachas to you in the material and in the spiritual for much, much brach and all that you need and all that you want and only, only, only good things. Thanks for that dedication. Another dedication this week was by Rabbi Elazar Frankel. And this is Uh, in honor of two yard sites. His grandfather's yard site is tonight. Chanoch Henach, Ben Meshulam Zalman, on the 19th of Sivan. And his father's yard site, which is going to be the 21st of Sivan. Meshulam Zalman Ben Chanoch Henach. May his father's neshama and his grandfather's neshama have a great aliyah, to the greatest of heights. May he channel, they channel lots of blessings to you, much, much bracha to you and your family. And everything in the material and in the spiritual. Nachas in the family. Parnasa barachav. And only, only a lot, a lot, a lot of brachas. Thank you for that dedication. Uh, another dedication tonight was by uh, Ushi and Sharon Bistamsky. And this is in honor of two birthdays in the family this week. Yona's birthday on the 19th of Sivan, which is tonight. Happy birthday. And Kayla's birthday, which is going to be in about a week and a half, on the 27th of Sivan. So may Hashem bench them both with a shnas bracha natzlach, a wonderful, wonderful good year, with much, much nachas, um, and to the parents and grandparents, and only, only, only happy, happy, happiness, and raise them in good health. You and your husband should raise them in good health, and they should be... Uh, grow up to be a great pride to you and your family, bring you a lot of nachas. Thank you so much for all these dedications. The CD this week is still available for dedication. Our machine had to be sent back for repairs, so we have to outsource the CD, so we need extra, extra financial help to be able to produce a CD. So anybody that would be interested in having the great mitzvah of having 300 or 400 hours of Torah study under your belt because that's about the amount of time because if you have 300 CDs and it takes about an hour and 20 minutes so that's about 400 hours of learning uh, plus inspiration from the song that's extra inspiration plus some people listen to the CD more than once so I would probably say like 600 hours 600 hours that's a great investment thank you so if anybody would like to dedicate that please let me know alright thanks um, we're ready to begin. Um, this week's parsha is Parshas Shlach. 
always an exciting parsha to talk about. Um, a story, it's a sad story. Um, a hard story to understand, a difficult story to understand. It slowed down drastically the progress of the Jewish people. We came out of Egypt, we were marching towards the Holy Land. We received the Torah, we were inspired, we were enlightened. We messed up, but Moshe had gotten forgiveness from God, and now we were ready to implement God's desire and God's want of being a being a light onto all the nations by implementing God's Hashem's dream of being a king over the world in Eretz Yisrael, and we would be his subjects and his servants and serve him and create a um, a land and a nation that is following God's will. And the the Torah, the main the main objective of the giving of the Torah is that it should be implemented in practical life in the land of Israel. So this was about a year after we went out of Mitzrayim. We left already Har Sinai. We were marching on our way towards the promised land. And the Jews decided to send spies uh, just to scout out and to figure out what would be the best way uh, for this conquest and to, to, to familiarize themselves a little bit better with this land that they heard so much about. Uh, they suggested it to Moshe. Moshe wasn't too happy with the idea, but he saw that the people were very adamant. He presented it to God. God didn't either uh, like uh, this, this idea. He saw the pitfall uh, falls. He saw the problems that can arise. Um, but he told Moshe, listen, I'm not recommending this, but if you want to go ahead and do this on your own, go ahead. And Moshe went along with the request of the Jewish people, sent these 12 men to scout out the land. We know the rest of the story. The key people came back. Ten of, the, ten of these great men, Moshe selected them, came back and presented not the best report on the land. Uh, they spoke about these huge giants. They spoke about the land being impossible to conquer. Uh, mainly the, 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 the residents of the land are extraordinarily powerful. The cities are fortified. It's, and and we just don't have the military might to be able to beat such formidable armies, such powerful nations. And even if we have God on our side, they kind of doubted God's power, even though they saw the great miracles of Egypt. So these are all questions we don't understand, how people who have witnessed you know, the, the downfall of Pharaoh, Paro, and his, and his mighty army, how can they can still question Hashem's power? But that's the story. God gets very, very upset at the Jewish people, because it created a great revolt. When the Jewish people heard about this, they were ready to turn back and go back to Egypt. They were so disheartened and all the people were crying and mourning. It, it literally, in the literal, literal sense, became Tisha B'av. It was Tisha B'av, and it became Tisha B'av. Because everybody, when people want to say when a terrible thing happens and everybody is saddened, the expression, the old Yiddish expression is, this is Gavad and Tisha B'av. It became Tisha B'av. But in this sense, it literally happened. Because because they mourned like Tisha B'av, that night, God says, I'm going to give you a Tisha B'av. And for the next over three and a half thousand years, we still have Tisha B'av because of, this, because of this event. It postponed the entry into the land of Israel for 40 years. Initially, God was so upset that he wanted to annihilate all of the Jewish people. Had Moshe Rabbeinu not stood up in the defense of his people and defended and, and stood up in front of Hashem and pleaded and begged that God should forgive the Jewish people, and Moshe Rabbeinu's main argument was that it would be a terrible desecration of God's name 
if the plan, if the taking the, the project of, of God's project, this is the first time that God openly showed His hand in the world. Till then Hashem was hidden. Here is where God flexed His muscles, rolled up His sleeves, and displayed His power in front of the world to come and take a people, a clan of slaves, out of slavery, and bring them with miracles and wonders, split the sea, ten plagues, brought down manna from heaven. I mean, miracles after miracles, and then suddenly the plan is aborted, and all the people are slaughtered in the desert. They die, like God said, I'm going to wipe them all out. So Moshe said, what kind of desecration? People are going to say that God reevaluated his, or reassessed his power, and recognized that he's up against these mighty giants, and these mighty kings, and he just felt that it's, uh, he can't do it. He can't keep his promise. He made a promise, but he can't keep his promise. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, that would be a horrific desecration of God's name in the world. That was Moshe's argument. And because of this, please forgive them. And then Moshe goes on to evoke the 13 attributes of mercy, which God had already taught Moshe by the, by after Moshe Rabbeinu interceded by the previous sin that was done only a year earlier, even less than a year. About 10 months earlier, the Jews had, had um, uh, violated or, or, or sinned in the greatest sin of making the golden calf. And then Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded on their behalf. And God told Moshe Rabbeinu, let me teach you that when everything else fails, the 13 attributes of mercy, you can evoke the depth, the deepest point of my mercy and my infinite compassion and my love for Israel that goes beyond all considerations and all rationale. And when you will evoke this and, and speak of my commitment and my covenant that I made with the Jewish people, then no matter what, I will forgive them. So Moshe goes out and pulls out this card of the 13 attributes of mercy, and he gets God to forgive Israel. It's not at no cost, because we said earlier, he doesn't do what he initially planned, to chas v'shalom, God forbid, to wipe the Jewish people out completely off the face of the earth. But he says, I'm going to wipe out slowly this entire, all these people that complain, I'm going to, um, they're all going to die, they're all going to perish in the desert, and only the next generation, 40 years later, are going to enter into the land. And which we know also was a precursor to all the other exiles. Because had the Jews gone in immediately, then Moses would have gone in, Moshe would have gone in. Had Moshe been the one who led the Jewish people into Israel, Moshe is eternal. Everything Moshe Rabbeinu touched is eternal. And therefore, our going into the land of Israel would have been eternal. We would have never been exiled. And we, but because of this sin, we stayed in the desert for 40 years, which caused Moshe Rabbeinu also to die in the desert. Later, the sin that Moshe Rabbeinu did at the end of the 40 years, which caused Yeshua, Joshua, to bring the Jewish people into the land of Israel, which led to the catastrophic catastrophic results that the coming into Israel um, was not forever. We had a a destruction and another destruction and we're still suffering the consequences. So basically, all the pain and misery that there is in the world today is connected to this week's parasha, to parasha Shalom. Okay, so that's the story. I would like to tonight focus the class on one of the phrases that Moshe Rabbeinu says when he's speaking to Hashem. And that is, after Moshe Rabbeinu speaks of the tremendous Chilul Hashem, the desecration of God's name that is going to happen if God does what He initially planned of killing all the Jewish people in the desert, right before He evokes the 13 attributes of mercy, 
there is one pasuk in the middle. And this is what he says, one verse, Pasuk Yud Zayin, Perek Yud Dalit, chapter 14, uh, Pasuk Yud Zayin, verse 17. It says like this, Va'ata and now, Yigdal no koach Hashem. Let the power of God, let the power of my master, Aleph Dalit Nun Yud, the power of Adonai, which is the power of Hashem, let it become, let it expand, let it become great. Kashadibarta, like you have spoken, Lamar saying, let the power of God, the power of Adna, the power of Hashem's mastery, become great, like you have spoken, saying, Hashem, Hashem, Erechapayim. And then he speaks the 13 attributes of mercy. Hashem is Erechapayim. So we need some explanation of what does, what does this verse mean? What is he saying over here? And now let the power of Ado or Adna, which is the word, I don't want to can't say Hashem's name, let the power of, of, the, of you as master of Hashem become great. Yigdalna, like you have spoken saying. So what does this verse mean? How does it, what, what is he saying over here? What, what, what does Moshe mean? So there's, Various different commentary on this on this pasuk. So I'm going to present to you mainly over here three perushim, three three explanations of what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying when he said va'ata yigdal na koach Hashem. One pirush is the pirush of the Arachaim, and it's the second pirush of the Chizkuni. Chizkuni, one of the Rishonim, and they say in the early commentators on the Chumash. So they say the Moshe Rabbeinu was contrasting the Chilul Hashem, which can happen if God follows his plan, what he wanted to do, God forbid, and destroy the Jewish people. There would be a terrible desecration of God's name. So in contrast to that, Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, what I am suggesting is that you go ahead and even though they sinned, you go ahead and continue bringing the Jewish people, continue with the initial plan, to bring the Jewish people into the land of Israel. And why? Because now, if you will bring them into the land of Israel, your power will become great. As opposed to your power being severely diminished. Because all the nations in the world will say that God's powers are limited. He's able to take them out of Egypt because it's only one army. But he's not able to face the seven mighty armies that are living in the land of Canaan, or as Rashi says, the 31 kings that were there. Because other nations also had an investment over there. God cannot face and destroy this great, this great power. And that would be a great weakening of God's dominion and sovereignty over the world. Adonai means the power of Hashem's mastery. Hashem as an Adon, as a master. God, your mastery is going to be severely weakened in the world. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Va'ata. But if you, do, if you drop those horrific plans, and instead you go through with bringing the Yidden into Eretz Yisrael, va'ata and now, yigdal na'koach Hashem. The power of God will become great because they, they will see that you could conquer those, those nations and you could take them in. To add, that's the chizkuni, the, the, the arachayim makes it even sweeter. He says, he, he emphasizes the word va'ata and now. What's the emphasis of now? Not only will there, will there not be a desecration of God's name as a result of the miraglim, of the spies, 
But actually you can turn the very, very report of the spies around to use it to increase your glory and you increase your respect and your honor. Why? Because the spies came back and they had told us a story of how mighty and strong the nations and how they're unbeatable. Which is something that people might have not have realized until now. Until they came back with a report. They've seen it with their own eyes. They have, a, they have t- t- witnesses speaking of the might and the power of the giants that are living in Eretz Yisrael. Now, if you will even ask to such a report, and you will take the Jewish people into the land of Israel, wow! That will really, really, really highlight the power and the strength of God that the Abishta, that Hashem is able to defeat even such a formidable foe, such an impossible uh, forces like the people that were there. And that's the emphasis of the Atta, Daska now, Yigdal na Koach Hashem. The power of God uh, will be great. And the Arachaim continues to explain that's what it means when he says, Kasha Dibarta, like you have spoken. What does that mean, like you have spoken? Let your power become great, like simply you can learn, like you have initially said that you're going to take them into Israel. So that would be the, what you said. But he says something deeper. Like you have spoken when you told me, Shalach Lacha. Initially in the beginning of the parsha, when you told me I should send the spies, you said an interesting word. You said, send the spies, V'yasuru as Eretz Canaan. They should scout out the land of Canaan. Asherani no saying that I am giving to the Jewish people. Those words, Asherani no saying, that I am giving, it seems to be superfluous. They're going to the land of Canaan. Everybody knows, yeah, the land of Canaan is the designated land that we're, that we're going to. We, we've been speaking about the land of Canaan already way back in Egypt. God was telling Moshe, I'm going to bring you to the land of the seven nations, the land that flows milk and honey. So we know it's the land of Canaan, and the land of Canaan is the land that God is giving to the Jewish people. So what is the emphasis, Asherani no saying, that I am giving to Israel? What's the emphasis? So the Arachayim explains what God was initially saying when he was sending the spies is I want you to understand and I want you to make it known to them when they are going on the mission they should understand that this is not just that they shouldn't evaluate the situation based on human power because they should realize that I too, I'm, I, I, me as God, I'm letting you know from the very beginning that the only way you're going to conquer this is because I am giving you this land. Don't think that this is possible to conquer. God had initially said in His words, Go scout out the land of Canaan, that the only way you're going to be able to have it is because I said, because I'm invested in it, God says. I'm the one giving it to the Jewish people. And therefore you'll be able to do it. Let the spies know that. So when they consider all the considerations, they should really be able to come back and say, well, you know what? <laughs> Naturally, we can't do this, but, but we have God with us, and God is going to give it to us, so let's go and watch. This is what, the, this is what Hashem really wanted the Miraglim to do. They should come back, the spies to come back and say, listen guys, get ready for like the most spectacular miracles because we are going to see something we've never seen yet because the, 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 the defeat of the Egyptians is a joke compared to what God is going to do now because we're dealing with armies that are just so much stronger. That would have been the preferable answer and that's what Yeshua and Kalev said but not the ten other Marab. 
But that's what Moshe Rabbeinu means now. And he says, Now, if you take the Jewish people now into the land, your name, in other words, the very report that the Meraglim came and gave, don't let that, God forbid, hinder your plans, and don't let that cause a chilul Hashem, a desecration. Use that itself to our benefit, to increase your name. That even though they gave such a report and they came back so depressed and so frightened and it was like impossible for them, now it's even greater. Because had they come back and said, you know what, you know what, we need a miracle. That would mean that they themselves can fathom a miracle. But now they can't even fathom it. It's like unbelievable. That's what Moshe says. It's like even they who saw God's miracles, they can't even fathom a miracle. Because it's so mighty. And now if you will do that, it will be fulfilled, kasher dibarta, like you have spoken, when you said, asher anino, saying, that I am the one giving it. The only way you can have it is because I am giving it. That's the Orachayim. Very beautiful. Rashi, however, does not learn that way. And so too most of the Rishonim, Evan Ezra, Rabbeinuch, Bachaya, Ramban, first peerish of Chizkuni, um, they, don't, uh, they don't learn that way. And they learn that Va'ato Yigdalna, Koach Hashem, now let it become great, your power is not referring to the Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name that's going to come about through entering the land of Israel, but rather, God, I need you to really be God now. That's what Moshe said. Va'ata now, God, really, really, really become great. Become who you really are. Let your power now expand. To do what? To be able to forgive even when you're angry. Yigdal no koach Hashem. Let your power, you know, a, human, a human being would lose his patience. A human being would not be able to overcome his anger, his frustration of such a horrible rebellion. Think about it from God. Sometimes we get so caught up with ourselves, we don't realize that God has feelings too, so to speak. And He can be seriously insulted and offended, right? Hashem says, I took them out of, out of Egypt. I've done such miracles. I've done such amazing things. I took them. I've given them my Torah. I've, I've done unbelievable. And this is what they do. They go, they get scared. They rebel. They say, let's go back to... They, they, they just throw it back in my face. So God is deeply hurt, so to speak, okay? Obviously, we understand this is all anthropomorphically speaking, but the Torah does want us to relate to Hashem in a way that we can understand. So God is deeply hurt, deeply offended, and He's angry. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, let your power of your power, which is what? Your power of mercy, your power, your great power to overcome that rage and that anger, to conquer your anger and do, and do the godly thing and forgive. That's the meaning of let your power become great. Koach Hashem, the power of God to forgive. Kasha dibarto, like you have spoken, Lamar saying, what did God speak? Like you have told me after the hate of the eagle, after the, after the sin of the golden calf, what did you tell me then? Hashem, Erech Apayim. God, you gave, you then, you mentioned, you revealed to me the 13 attributes of mercy in which you overcome your anger and that you have infinite mercy and infinite, infinite compassion. So now, let you should rise and step up to the plate, so to speak, and be God, as only God knows how to be God, meaning be on that high, high, infinite level of compassion to forgive the Jewish people. 
So according to that, the whole Pasuk of Ata Yigdalna is not a continuation to the previous verses, but it's an introduction to the next verse. Let your name become great, your power of Hashem to forgive. And when he says, Kasha Dibarta, like you have spoken, referring to the future words, Hashem Erech God um, is, a, um, is a compassion. So Kasha Dibarta, like you have spoken, it goes on to the next passage, the 13 attributes of mercy. But here's a passage in the Talmud. So far we have two interpretations. Now we have a passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says like this, This is a, 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 a Gemara, a Mesechtis Shabbos, a tractate Shabbos, of Peites, page 89. It says like this, says, Here it's talking about the giving of the Torah. And when Moshe went up to receive the Torah. Anyways, when, it's just a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says when Moshe came up to the, to the, to the heights, he met God, he met Hashem, Hashem was busy, Hashem was very busy. What was he busy doing? He was busy putting on crowns onto the letters. Anybody ever excited to see a Torah? We should be excited to look at the Torah. You look at the Torah, you're seeing letters. And God himself was meticulously sitting over there putting those crowns. Because when you look carefully at the Torah, you'll see that all the letters have different crowns. Some of them have three crowns, two crowns, one crown, four crowns, the Shin, the Zion. And God himself is busy writing the letters. The, 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 the way the sages say, he's tying crowns to the letters. And that's what Moshe found God busy doing. Moshe's quiet. I mean, he's walking into God, right? What do you say? But he's a high God. What do you say? What do you say when you walk into God? Hi? Hello? What do you say? So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no hi in your... Ain't shalom be'ircha. You don't say hello. Where you come from, they don't say hi, hello. Why don't they hear anything from you? Why are you silent? So Moshe Rabbeinu is taken by surprise. What is he supposed to say to God? So... Um, Moshe says, Klum yesh shalom Is there a servant that gives shalom to his master? Shalom, shalom aleichem, hi, how are you? Is something that you do to appear, right? But someone who you're subservient to and you're completely surrendered to, you're just quiet. You, you, you don't have the chutzpah to say shalom like as if you're a peer. So Moshe says, I, I, I wouldn't do that. Amaloi Hashem says to Moshe, you saw I'm busy, you saw I'm involved in a project, you, you should have assisted me in my project. You should have helped me in what I am doing. What am I doing? Rashi says, on the Gemara, Rashi says, what does he mean? You should have, Moshe should have sat down and helped him tie the crowns. What does it mean? So Rashi says that Mo, God was telling Moshe, you should have said, be successful in your work. Be success. He sees Hashem is busy doing something. So you should wish him success. When we meet someone and they tell us about a project, something that they're involved in doing, we say it should be successful. You should, you, should, you should do well. So Hashem said to Moshe, you should have blessed me and told me, Tatzliach, you should have Hatzlacha in your work. When I daven, I'll tell you a, a thought that occurs to me sometimes. When we say Halal, we say, Ana Hashem Hatzlichana. 
So simply the way the meaning is, it's like one of the highlights of Hala. Simply, please help, save me. Right? Please God, give me success. But sometimes the thought that occurs to me is, please, please God, you be successful. Because, you know, it's already close to... 5,000 years and uh, he hasn't uh, really uh, gotten to where he needs to get in the world. Right? And you're wondering what's going on. The project is stalling. Hashem wanted already his light to be filled across the whole world. You look in the prophets, you see what Mashiach's world is supposed to look like. It's taking longer and longer. So we're crying out to Hashem. God, be matzliach. I give you a bracha. I'm praying for you, God. But that's seen what Hashem is telling Moshe Rabbeinu. You should have told me, Tatzliach, you should have Hatzlacha in your work. Fine. Meyad, um, so right away, Omar Loi, Moshe says to Hashem, Hashem. And now let it become great, the power of God. Kasha Dibarta, like you've spoken. Though the Gemara says that our verse, when Moshe says, Va'ata and now, Yigdalna, let it become great, your power is actually Moshe Rabbeinu doing what God told him to do. God said, you should bless me, that I should be successful. So Moshe Rabbeinu is giving the blessing to Hashem that he should be successful. What is he saying? Yigdal na koach Hashem. Let your power become straight, strong. Let your power be strengthened or greater. So that what? So that you'll be successful. This is Mo- and that's what Moshe Rabbeinu means when he says, Kasher dibarto like you have spoken. What do you mean? What does it mean? Like you have spoken? Like you told me to tell you? Because really, it's very disrespectful for, for for me, a human being, to tell God to give God a blessing that He should be successful. But 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 Moshe says, and now let the glory, let the power of God become great. Meaning, you should be successful. You should like you have spoken, and you told me to say. So according to this interpretation of the Gemara, the word kasher dibarta, like you have spoken, what do we mean by like you have spoken? Different than Rashi. Rashi the Mepharshim, as we said before, kasher dibarta is referring to the 13 attributes of mercy. To the next verse. Kasher dibarta lemor, Hashem Hashem kel racham v'chanan. It's those words that you have spoken. But according to the Gemara, and also like the simple meaning of the verse, it seems like, now let the power of God, of, of Adana, of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, of Hashem's name, become strong, kasher dibarto, like you have spoken. Like you have spoken what? Like you have spoken that your name should become strong. And this is disinterpretation. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is doing like God has spoken, this idea that, that he needs strength, and that we should strengthen him, and that we strengthen him. And Moshe Rabbeinu is giving Hashem strength by saying, giving Hashem this blessing. Fine. So what I'd like to do today is combine these two interpretations together. Meaning, the interpretation of Ata Yigdalna, I mean, it's really, I gave you three interpretations, but the Arachayim HaKadosh is Pirush with the, with the, with the um, Cheskuni, um, that we're going to leave on, on to the side. That's... Uh, um, Again, uh, one pirish that we're not going to deal with tonight, and that is that the kashadibarta is referring to 
Shlachlach, like you have, let there be a Kiddush Hashem, Kasher Dibarto, like Shlachlach, okay, but that's, that's a little, it's a little hard to put it in the words, Kasher Dibarto. Fine, it's not according to Pshat. But we're going to stick to these last two interpretations. Where one is Kasher Dibarto, like you have spoken in the 13 attributes of mercy. And the other one is Kasher Dibarto, what have you said? You have said, that we should try to do whatever we can to make God's power strong. Like Moshe says, Hashem says to Moshe, please bless me for success. And the idea is as follows. Because it would seem like these are two separate pirushim. One is a medrash of the Gemara, and the other one is a pirush in the Chumash. But really the two are connected. And they're connected very deeply. And that is as follows. See, we have to really think about what is the objective of this whole, of these psukim. The objective over here is one thing. Moshe Rabbeinu was standing before God after the Jewish people have done a miserable mistake. And, Moshe, and, their, and, their, and their very existence is hanging on a hair. And Moshe is pleading for the Jewish people. What does Moshe Rabbeinu want? He wants atonement. He wants forgiveness. Moshe wants complete forgiveness from God. And what does he do? He's evoking the 13 attributes of mercy. Which is what God taught us. When nothing else works, you can always evoke the 13 attributes of mercy. However, but when we think a little deeper of how forgiveness works, we can understand why in order for the for atonement to happen the way it ought to have, the way it, it needs to happen in a complete, thorough manner, two things are required. Number one, we have to reach the 13 attributes of mercy from where forgiveness is going to be drawn from where we're going to bring the forgiveness. And number two, there also needs to be a, a expansion or a bracha, so to speak, a blessing given to, giving, giving to God that His name should expand, should become great in order for the atonement to be complete. And we'll understand that in a minute. So both, in, so in other words, there's two things. There's Hashem, Hashem, Kerachem, V'chanan. And the other one is Va'ata Yigdal Koach Hashem. Because if you don't have the Va'ata Yigdal Koach Hashem, now let the God's name become great, then even if you have the 13 attributes of mercy and you stimulate it, you're not going to have a kapara, an atonement. So to understand that, we need to really understand how atonement works. And let's use, let's use human relationships. Two people are very, have a are good friends, or husband and wife. They love each other very, very dearly, very deeply. But then something happened. They got into a terrible fight. You know, one of them did something very, very, very hurtful to the other. And now their their relationship is is damaged. Damaged severely. They don't want to look at each other. They don't want to talk to each other. Okay, fine. A couple of days go by, a couple of hours go by, whatever it is. But they both can't stand the distance and the pain that's there, right? So, so especially the one, the the offender, the offender is deeply hurt. They realize they did something really bad. They want to come back into the good graces of their beloved, of their spousal. They want to make up. So, but but the other person is so angry because the other person is so hurt. The other person is so. So, so deeply pained that, and, they, and they're so angry to the point where they're willing to like, forget it, I have nothing to do with you anymore. Goodbye. Over. Okay. So how do you, how do you fix this? So the only way, I mean, 
it couldn't be fixed, is you have to really dig, 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 dig deep and find a place within the, the person that you've offended, the person that you're in a relationship with, where the blemish has not occurred, where the blemish didn't happen. Okay, a person has an external outer self and a person has a deep, 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 deep inner, inner, inner self. And um, when, just like uh, when a uh, fruit, a tomato, a banana, or anything gets bumped and it gets a little boo-boo, a little bruise. So it's there and you don't want to eat a bruised banana or a bruised apple or whatever it is. But you know that even if it's a bruise, the bruise is on the outside. If you take a knife and you cut off that outer, outer place, you're going to find the underneath it all, there's still a, a fresh, good, crunchy apple. A very, very clean, smooth banana that's not mushy and yucky or something like that. So you know, you just have to go a little deeper. And the same is with humans. We have outer layers and we have inner layers. The outer layers are our wants, immediate wants, our desires that are related to here, today, tomorrow. So when one spouse, one person gets upset at the other one, it's usually because of some element that is important to them at this moment right now. Something that's relating to, the, to, to them in time and space right now. Something, I wanted something. I wanted it could be something as silly as I wanted uh, uh, broiled chicken, not uh, roasted chicken. And, and you made me roasted chicken, and I'm upset about that. Or whatever, I told you to order this, and you ordered that for me. Right? I wanted uh, pizza with, uh, with mushrooms, and you got me pizza with, uh, with, with jalapenos. That's not what I want. So I'm upset, because right now, I really am so hungry, and this is what I wanted. I'm giving a silly example. And it's true, right now this is very important. And really true, you're not listening to me, right? I asked you to do that, or so on and so forth. Obviously, if you would have cared about me enough, you would have heard what I told you, right? That's... So there is, there is all these moments where right now this is important to me at this very intersection in my life. But the truth is what? That it's right now. Now, obviously food is a silly thing. It can be something deeper. It can be a certain, you know, I was involved in doing something very, very, very... That, that, that a project or something I needed your help and you didn't give me help in what I needed your help in in something that was important something that was related to my career related to my future advance but even your career and even your future advance how deep is that inside of you it's important I've spent years and so forth but it's not your essence but then there's something else when you went under the chuppah and you bonded and you discovered you met this other person and you decided that the two of that were, were getting married at that moment you've Unified, you've attached yourself to this other individual at, a, at your very core essence, at your very, very source, at your very being. Much deeper, and it's for all of eternity. It's not today, tomorrow, this, I like this about you, I like that about you. It's a deep merging of souls. It's, 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 a, it's an intrinsic bond. So even if what, you're right, I hurt you, I didn't, I didn't uh, do so or so, so, but don't you realize that we're married and we really, really love each other deeper than this particular need, want, or something that right now has caused a fissure or a break in my relationship with you. And obviously with a parent and child, it's even stronger. Parents have certain expectations of their children, certain wants. Sometimes children anger their parents very much, frustrate their parents, embarrass their, their parents, or whatever it is, bring a lot of hurt to the relationship. And a father can get very angry at his son or his daughter and say, get out of the house, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm writing you out of my will. 
But is that really true? It's not true. It's true because they're, they, the parent at that moment, is living on a more surface, they're conscious of their surface, outer, outer self. And when I say outer, I don't mean silly outer, like when I talk about the, the slice of pizza, if it's a mushroom, I'll have a slice. Outer can mean important, like how I wanted my child to grow up, my ideal of my child being this type of a person. And you're going totally against my ideal because you've chosen a different way of life that's against... But even deeper than my philosophies and approaches and mindset about what's called good living and the right way to live is something much deeper. You are me, I am you, we're connected. And it's not a matter of choosing this or choosing that. We are one entity, father and child. You're my life. You're my very being. You're my very, my very essence. If the child can truly cry and say, Father, but Father, that goes deeper than all those levels. If the father can hear that, not always is a person open. Not always is a person ready to allow themselves to go to their core being and see themselves from a core place and thereby realize, yeah, you're my child. What, am I going to throw you out of the house? I don't care whatever, but I'm going I'm di- to disown you. I can't disown you because if I disown you, I'm, I'm, I'm destroying me. You are me, I am you. And again, in a spousal relationship, it's the same thing. So when you can, obviously you have to wait till the person calms down. You have to, he, the, you, this thing doesn't work instantly. But if you can evoke and go deeper and discover the place where the two are connected despite the faults, despite the thing, and I realize that you're more important to me than all the other things that you got me upset about, so from there the relationship can be healed. Fine. What happens if someone does that? Fine. They've, 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 uh, they've, they've evoked that, that deep place and thereby re reclaimed or re-reclaimed the relationship or gotten back into the other's good grace. So we're going to start all over again now. Fine, it's all good. But there's, a, there's another element and that is the repair needs to be made in the place where the damage happened. You can't just ignore the external person and say, you know what? It doesn't make a difference how much pain I caused you. I caused you a financial loss of whatever, so and so forth. I caused you aggravation and misery. But you know what? All that is external and I'm your son and therefore I'm just of your essence and therefore you should love me no matter what and everything else. Well, no. Because a person is not just... A, a person doesn't only have an inner core. A person has an out external personality which is part of their identity of who they are. Yes, it's true. It's an external identity but it's still part of their identity. And if you don't heal the place where they had that, where I damaged, where I hurt, if I don't say sorry, and if I don't try to make a repair in the place and where the damage happened, then the, 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 it's going to fester. Meaning, I'll forgive you now, you're my child, but deep inside I'm still hurt. And there's still a, 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 a thing, and, and, and that's obviously going to ruin, this, that's obviously getting in the way of a meaningful relationship. To con- so what happens? We have to, once we visit it, a deeper place, uncovered that deeper place, we have to go back and have, doesn't have to be right away, but a father and a child or a husband and wife have to sit down and have coffee together or tea together and discuss the actual problem of what happened, make sure it doesn't happen again, realize their mistake, say sorry for what happened, and make the repair in the place that the repair needs to be done. That's the way you heal. You have to go to a place where there was never a severance to begin with. Once you can evoke that place, then you have to go back to the, to the more external point in, the, in their psyche of whoever or whatever it was, and where the damage did take place, and do a repair 
in that in that place that we're we're, we're the we're the um, where the hurt, where the pain, where the where the damage was done. This is the same with our relationship with God. With God, we say that God, you're our Father, we're your children. That means no matter what we do in our in our life, no matter whether we obey Him, whether we don't obey Him, at in God's heart of heart, in His inner, 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 inner essential self, He loves us no matter what. The Talmud says about that. Benkach u benkach. Whether so and so, whether you do so, whether you do so, atem kriyam bonem, you're, you're my children. Bonayata, you're my children. Whatever it is, I can't. God says, I can't get you out of my soul. I can't get you out of me because you are me. So there is a place that no matter what, no matter how many times we've sinned, no matter what we've done, Hashem is our father. Our rela- we spoke many times, God has got married to us as a relationship like a husband and a wife, the relationship of father and child. These are core, deep, essential relationships. And therefore they can't be broken. That's the 13 attributes of mercy. When we evoke, and we call out Hashem Kel Rachum V'chanun, we evoke the depth, the deep, deep inner place, where even if so-and-so happened, even if we completely you know, uh, um, disrespected you, and completely and caused you so much aggravation, God, but still, we're, we're your children. That's good. So we evoke that. But then we have to make a tikkun in the place where we cause the blemish. And that's the meaning of the Pasuk, Va'ata and now Yigdalna, let it become great, Koach Adna, Aleph Dalet Nun Yud, the Koach of Hashem being in Adon, because that's the place where the blemish took place, when, at the sin of the spies. The sin of the spies was a blemish in God's kingship. And let's understand why. We know Kabbalistically there are ten sefirot. And the ten sefirot begin with Chochmah, wisdom, and then Bina, and so on. And then it goes down through the seven emotions. And finally there's the attribute of Malchus. And the attribute of Malchus is the attribute of God being Shem's sovereignty over the world. He's a king over the world. He's a ruler over the world. Malchus is called Oretz. Because it's the last of the ten sefirot, of the ten attributes, it's called Oretz. What was the sin of the Maraglim? Oretz means land, earth, because it's the lowest level. What, is the, um, the, what was the sin of the Maraglim? They rejected what? They rejected the Oretz, the land. God was bringing them into the promised land. And let's think about it. What was going to happen in the promised land? We were going to build a kingdom, an empire, a holy empire for God. And the Jews decided that they do not want to go into the land. So they rejected the Abishter's Malchus. Didn't mean they don't want a relationship with God, but they didn't want that setting of going into the land. So there was a blemish in Malchus. Now let's take that a little deeper to understand deeper what that means. We've discussed in many classes in this week's Torah portion. That the real, because we asked the question at the beginning, how can it be that these were saintly people? How can it be that they didn't believe in God's power to uh, conquer the land? How can it be after they saw such miracles? So we've discussed that this was much more than what meets the eye. There was a deep inner resistance they didn't want to go into the land of Israel. And the refusal to go into the land that they argue that's because of the giants and so forth is an external manifestation 
of something much deeper that they were rejecting. So we've discussed this in other classes, that their main resistance of going into the land of Israel was because they, they, were, they were living in the desert. God had provided for them miraculously all of their needs. They were living in a literal, in paradise. They were living, I mean, obviously physically it's not paradise, living in a desert. But God literally brought paradise to the desert. He brought them stones that brought them water and laundered their clothing and food that came down from heaven. They were living in a pure miracle and they had no concerns and worries whatsoever. They lived an entire year that way. From when Hashem took them out of Egypt until this time. All their needs were taken care of. And what were they dedicated and devoted to? One thing, knowing their Creator. They prayed for six, seven hours a day. I'm sure, everybody. They meditated. They had such deep insight. And no distractions. There was nothing, nothing to worry about. What's for dinner? How are we going to make a living? No bills to pay. Didn't have to worry or wonder about DWP or this problem or that problem or the mortgage or the bank or business. This. Nothing. Nothing. Not even to go to the laundromat. Nothing. Because every single thing was taken care of. They completely can devote themselves wholeheartedly with all their soul and all their, all their, all their focus in serving their Creator. And they knew when they're going to go into the land of Israel, all that is going to end. The miracles are going to end and they're going to have to go out and earn a living, become farmers, become doctors, become lawyers, become entrepreneurs, become business people, become all kinds of other things with all the distraction and all that. And they felt the distance and they didn't want the distance. Now this changes the whole story. This is not a sin to be understood in the regular sense of sin. Bad people, they don't want to listen. They're sinning because they're loving God too much. They're loving the relationship. They're loving, they feel the closeness. They feel the attachment. They feel the spiritual bliss. And they do not want to give it up. To them, going into the land of Israel was a descent, not an ascent. It was going down. They were, now, what is wrong? Then, then why doesn't God keep them in the desert? What is wrong with this very, very spiritual elevated existence? And the answer is that in the spiritual elevated existence, you're not influencing the world, you're above the world. You're in a high, very, you're wonderful. You're, you're a bunch of nomads living as hermits in a desert. Wonderful, it's great. Enlightened, like you have enlightened gurus who live in some cave somewhere. God did not choose the Jewish people to be the enlightened gurus living in a monastery or living in some cave somewhere on a mountaintop and, 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 and away withdrawn from everything. God created a world and God wanted to be a king over the world. To be a king over the world, we have to go into the physical land and live like our Gentile neighbors living a, a physical life in this world, engage in all matters of physicality, of material living, and in that state, do God's will. That's tricky already. In other words, God is saying, over here, you're basically, you're not even detached from me. You're, a, you're, you're part of me. You're part of my reality. So I'm not being a king, because you can't be a king over yourself. You can only be a king of someone who's detached from you. So I want to take you, put you into the land. When you're going to be in the land, that's when you have, you have to take, you have to take care of yourself. So, and you're not living off miracles. You're living in a natural setting. The natural setting gives a feeling of what? That there is a certain, a certain, not that much, but a certain independence from God. You can, and you have free will. You can choose to listen or choose not to listen. And the, the desert is almost like there's no free will. You're overpowered with godly, with the, with the, with, 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 with godly 
with, 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 with Hashem's presence is so strong that you, you cannot not serve Him. I want to put you in a place where you have choices, where you're to some degree disconnected from me. And that's the material, physical world. And working for a living by being a farmer or whatever else that you're doing creates a certain distance between you and me which gives you that independence enough that you can choose to ignore me or to listen to me. And when we choose to listen to God and do His will, that gives Him a satisfaction for why He created the world. And from the Jewish people living that way, it will hopefully, eventually, be infiltrated into all the nations of the world, because we will become a light onto the nations. The other nations will see how a human being ought to live in submission and surrender to His his, his or her creator, and they too would be elevated slowly and come to a place where they're all taking God seriously, living their life as physical beings in this world in accordance to God's will. And that fulfills Hashem's desire in being a king. They didn't want that. For two reasons they didn't want that. Number one, they felt that that, that is... They're, they're, to live in that non-godly space... In order to make God, to, to show God that even in a non-godly space they take Him seriously. The mere thought of living in that non-godly space was horrific to them. Number one. Number two, even if they knew that this is God's will, they were afraid that it wouldn't be possible. They, they did not think they, they have the abilities to see it through. They were afraid that if they will come into the land and start becoming regular people involved in earthly, in earthly um, um, involvement with earthly activities and, and, and distractions, they will become completely distracted. The worldly pleasures and delights will get the better of them. They will become obsessed with making a fortune. They'll become obsessed with other physical um, 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 uh, accomplishments and totally forget about serving God. And that's what they meant, that there are giants over there. What they meant about the giants, they meant that, these, that the forces of klipa, the forces of unholiness, that, that are inherent in a material, physical existence, are so powerful and so strong, they're stronger than our souls. And they're stronger than God's plan, where God says, I want to be a king, and I want to, these are my subjects. Basically, they said, the Yitzhahara that you created, God, is too strong. And we will go into it, we will lose. And that was their fear. So now let's go a little, little deeper. So what, what were they really saying? What were they, and we'll understand now why this is a very, 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 very important lesson in our lives. Very important. We'll understand why this was considered a blemish in God's kingship. Because what's happening over here is what they're really saying is, that God, you're not powerful enough to be a king. Give, give the world independence. Give us space. It's ideal. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's fantasy. The idea of giving people Yetzatov and Yetzahara and then people will choose and submit themselves to God's will is unrealistic. If you're going to try to implement it, it's not going to happen. 
It's not going to work. And they knew that they were talking about themselves. They felt that they would not survive it. Which means that Hashem's reason why He created the world is, which is to be a king, is unrealistic. So Hashem has a dream of being a king, of being a king of the world, and they're telling God that it's unreasonable. It's not going to happen. You'll see, put it out there, it's not going to happen. When the subjects tell the king that his kingdom is going to fail, what does it do to the mood of the king of being a king? When we say it was a blemish in God's kingdom, in a deeper sense it means God himself lost his desire to be a king. If my subjects, if my closest beings tell me that this is just an unreasonable, far-fetched uh, possibility, it cannot be that this will happen, so what does he want it? Does he want it? Does he need it? This was horrible. Now let's take that into our lives. Let's take that into our lives. Because a lot of times we think, okay, like, today's days do we really suffer from this problem? I understand if you're talking about people when they were very spiritual, like years, years ago, people loved learning and davening and so on and so forth, then you'd say to them, go out and live a life like a normal human being, make a living and give tzedakah, do live, live according to the Torah's will in this world. Oh, I can understand that there are people that are shying away from that. They don't want to go out of the, sh- the base medrash. They just want to have that higher connection to God and not have to deal with what we call reality. But to most of us, that's not the problem. The problem is the opposite. We're too materialistic and we're lacking in our spirituality. Not like we have the same problem like the Muragam, but it's not true. Because if we think about it in our own lives, we find that we would much, much rather remain in our own little space and dive in and learn and do what we need to, then really, really fulfill that which God has placed at each and every one of us to be an influence on our surrounding and our place that that place should become godlier and holier and more sensitive to God's will, to Hashem's will. And we're always shying away from that because we're afraid. Here's the thing, because we feel that we won't be successful. We feel that there's too much pessimism there's too much cynicism. People are never going... And I'll give an example. From time to time, we have an inspiration to start something positive in this world. To build something new, something good in this world. Something that will create a greater compliance and a greater, a greater uh, more holiness in our, in our environment. Okay? It can be a communal... Uh, like there's so many people that, always, that have inspiration and ideas... They speak to others and people kind of say, eh, whatever, no one's going to listen to you. You're never going to get funding. You're not going to get this. You're not going to get that. People are not going to respond. People are going to say, people are not interested. How many times people say, people are not interested. Who's interested in in this? People are happy with the way they are. People just want to eat and have a good time, have kosher restaurants and so on and so forth. Who's really interested in the spiritual thing or that thing or that thing? And what do we do? We immediately fold up and fine, I'm not going to do it. And many times people, there is, there is, a, there is a, 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 a call for, for somebody or, some, or, or, or people to rise up to do something, but they're so afraid of failure, so afraid that this is not going to happen, we're not going to be able to see it through, so they don't even want to even put in their, 
they're, they're, you say, a finger in cold water to make an attempt, or even, or if they try one time and it doesn't work out, immediately we give up. So what really are we saying? We're telling God, excuse me, you want to be a king, and you asked me to be your agent, to be a king through me over here, but I believe that the, that the opposition is too strong. It's not going to happen. Forget about it. We're always doing this. We're always shy, we're stepping away from responsibilities all the time because we are afraid that it's not going to work. Did you try? Did you really, really give it all you've got? No. Why? Because this one said, or that one said, or based on whatever I think, I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. That is probably worse than any other sin that we do. Because it's really, really hitting at the heart of everything. God created the world, so He will be a king over the world. And being a king over the world means that godly things are going to take place. The world, the physical world, is going to run in accordance to Hashem's will. It requires all of us to participate and to make that happen. But we turn around like the spies and say, Chazakumimenu. There are giants out there. These are forces that are so strong, that are anti this. I can never make it happen. Can never make it happen. People are not going to give money. People are not going to do this. No one is interested. A thousand excuses. Why we cannot get something done that needs to get done. That's a very, very, very deep blemish. It's basically telling God that he is not strong enough to be a king. He created, who created these obstacles? Let's think about it. Who created it? We look at, we look at the Miraglim and we think, what are these totally insane people? Who created these, these giants? Who made, God created the whole world. Of course God can beat them. Yet when it comes to our own little, little giants, or what, what is a big giants in our own mind, of, of, of oppositions, of problems, that, that in order to see something holy and godly through in the world, again, to sit in your own four corners, to daven and to learn, that's like staying in the midbar. I mean, it's not that, I'm not saying that we're not supposed to do that. Of course you have to daven, and of course you have to learn, and you should know shas, and you should learn a lot of Kabbalah, and you should daven for 15 hours. But more important than davening for 15 hours, and then this, is that something in the street should become holy. Something outside in the physical world should operate instead of against God's will in accordance to God's will. What it can be? It can be it's tzedakah should be done, kindness, another shul should open, another thing. Things that need to happen, holy things that need to happen in this world. Another learning class from people to come, another, I mean, things, things that need to happen in the physical world to make it, to make this world come. To make this world compatible with God's will, in compliance with Hashem's will. And we shy away and we say, it can't be done. That's a blemish in the Ebishtah's malchus in God's kingship. So how is it repaired? How is it repaired? It's very deeply offensive to God when we do that. Because on the one hand, we think it's totally not a sin. I can't do it, I can't do it, fine. It's almost like we look at all the other sins we do. You know, I can almost tell you the Lashon Hara and the, and the, and the, and the other, other, other silly things we do that involve our own. I'm not saying they're no big deal. A person should be, needs to be careful in Shulchan Aruch, but I can almost 100% guarantee you that that doesn't come close to the seriousness 
of, a, of, of, an, of an effect that each and every one, everybody in accordance to them, can have on the environment when we're inspired, when, we're, when we have something to teach, to give, to, to create, and we shy away from it because we feel that we're not the person, or we're small, or this, or that. That is the deepest offense to God because it's basically telling God, you're a failure. That's what it is. We're saying, oh yeah, I understand. In, in, in Poland, yeah. In the shtetl, yeah. In there, yeah. In Yerushalayim, yeah. But in Los Angeles? Here? In West Hollywood? Oh my, forget about it. You can't do it. If this is not the place for it. What is that? That's telling God that he cannot be a king over his planet, over his world that he created. That's what the Maraglam did. This is serious. So how do we repair the damage? The first thing is we have to cry out, Moshe Rabbeinu cries out, Hashem Hashem Kel Racham He evokes the fact that God, your relationship with us, we're Jews, we're your children, we're one with you. You have to evoke the place from where, from where, in a place where there's never been a, sever, a severance. Because there's a place where no matter wh- how insecure we are, how weak, the Ebershter loves us with an infinite love. That's Yud Gimel Midisarach. But then, Now we need to increase the power of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud. What's the power of Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud? God's confidence in being a king, we need to make that great again. Because guess what? Can you believe, I, I, I'm scared to say this, but God also starts buying into our story that He can't be a king. Because if enough of us tell Him that, He also starts thinking, maybe I can't. What do you think? If everybody's telling Him that, He can't. So what is this? does He start thinking that? That's what it means. There is a weakening of the name of Aleph, Dalet, Nun. God says to Moshe, bless me. Help me out of here. You imagine that? This is where God is vulnerable to us. It's exactly at this point where Hashem is vulnerable to us. Because we, He can't make Himself into a king. The subjects have to make Him into a king. He's not going to come in with a bulldozer and bulldozer. That's not a king. That's a tyrant. He needs us to make Him into a king. So if chas v'shalom, we've weakened his, his power and his sense of being a melech because we shy away from what we need to do. So what happens then? Once we evoke the 13 attributes of mercy, we need to draw down that energy, that infinite light, into, the, into that attribute of malchus. And over there... Bring about a tikkun. To bring about a tikkun in that space where chas v'shalom, the blemish has taken place. In our avoda, by the way, I'm just going to say, we, 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 we attach an interesting idea to this. I think the Jews, when they came to America, were faced with this challenge more than ever in history. Because we never were given like, you know, talking about the Jews going into the land of Israel. A country that creates and cultivates a sense of you're a self-made man, you have your independence, you have your life. You're this. That's America. America has created and has given Jews freedom and so forth. Hashem's desire, I want to be a king over the world, when he created the world, more than anything else meant that he wants to be a king from the 1800s, the 1900s, and the 21st century. 
Here is weird. Because it used to be like you're Jewish. Why are you Jewish? Because the street is Jewish. Why? Because everybody's Jewish. Because that's, you had no choice. Because the Gentile made you Jewish, whether you wanted to be Jewish or not. It wasn't like a matter of choice. When you come into America, it's a free world. You have a strong sense of personal responsibility. And what happened to Jews when they were coming to America? The notion of Jews coming to America was very, very clearly the notion of Yidden coming to the United States of America was that Yiddishkeit is for the old shtetl, it's not for the United States, not for America. And, the, and, the, and the, in Yiddish they said, America is Andersh. And America is different. Here God can't be a king. And in Hasidus there is a, a, an expression, going back to Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, he, he called America the lower half of the world, of the globe. The lower half of the globe meaning the half of the globe where God's presence is felt less. But exactly there is where the Abishta wants to be a melech, wants to be a king. And even rabbis and great people came to the United States were intimidated. And even if some came, many of them came with small clusters of groups of people, they very, very, very much insulated themselves in tiny little areas where they can create a little tiny little space where they can worship and be holy and be godly and leave the rest of the Jewish world of America, the Gentile American world for sure. And we can do our thing. And God forbid, you don't want to Tip the, you don't want to you don't upset anybody. You don't want to ruffle any feathers over here. So we have to keep our Judaism very hidden. Interesting. The previous Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, came to America, and his first declaration was, "America is nicht anders. America isn't any different. And here too will be godly." His son-in-law, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, when he came to America, he came on Koach. On the 28th day of Sivan was the day that he managed, that he arrived, I think it was the day that he arrived to the United States. He was saved from Europe during the Holocaust, came to America. And he, this has been written by great scholars and much greater orators than me, uh, talking about the Rebbe's ability to take Judaism inside out and to actually take it into the offense, and to spread Yiddishkeit across the world, and start Jewish, a Jewish pride, and opening and, and creating a Jewish communities, and, and presence, and open observance across the entire world, in an unbelievable way. Of course, there were other tzaddikim as well, but the force and the drive not to be intimidated by the giants that are in America, these giant forces of cynicism, of apathy, of coldness, was very strongly the the Rebbe's thing. And when did he come? On the 28th day. And on the 28th day of Sivan, he said a discourse, not the year that he came, but many years later, and it's this discourse that I'm sharing with you tonight about va'ata yigdalna, let let it now become great, koach, the power of Aleph, Talid, Nun, Yud. Because what did the Rebbe represent? He represented the Abishter could be a king over this world. Aleph, Talid, Nun, Yud. And the Rebbe so much pushed us not to shy away. If anybody tried to hide in a shtibel, in a little shul, under a table, and tried to say, no, 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 leave me alone. I will learn, I will daven, but I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to go out there. The Rebbe didn't let him. He pushed each and every one of us. Why? Koach Adna. And it's interesting, the 28th day of Sivan, 
Sivan, the Torah is given. And through the Torah, God becomes an Odoin over the world. And the Ato Yigdalna, now let it become great again. And almost like, I mean, I don't want to have to be careful how I'm, how I'm phrasing this. It's almost like the, 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 the confidence of God's kingdom came back when the rebels put his foot down on the soil of America and claimed, echoing his father-in-law's call, the Ato Yigdalna Koyach Hashem, America won't be any different. Because God... God is the master over the world and, he, and the Abishter is strong enough, so to speak, to be a king over the whole world and we can make it happen. Just have to do it. How do we do it? We just do it. That's how we do it. We do it. We're not afraid. We realize we don't want to repeat the mistake of the Maraglam. This connects us going back, the two Purushim. On the one hand, Kasha Dibar Ato Yigdal Hashem like you have spoken, Hashem Hashem In order to be able to fix the damage of the blemish, we need to get to the 13 attributes of mercy that are higher than the world. We have to get to the place where the blemish didn't happen. But then we have to repair the damage in the place where it did happen. And that's the idea of If we've weakened that, that power of God's malchus, by being insecure and not having the confidence that God can have His malchus in this world, we need to invigorate that and empower that by ourselves deeping into finding our 13 attributes of mercy within our soul, which is our infinite and endless and absolute devotion to Hashem, our Mesiras Nefesh, and funnel that into our malchus, into our ability. In other words, we have to take our Mesiras Nefesh and from a place of a serious nefesh, go out there and make godly things happen in the actuality. Not in the theoretical, not just in the realm of ideas, but in the actual real place. And when we do that, we repair the damage that has happened in God's malchus, and we re- experience the migdosh, the same aleph talad nun yud, is migdosh aleph talad nun yud konen yodecha. The beisam migdosh, third beisam migdosh, in which... Hashem's malchus, Hashem as being an Adon over the world, will fully manifest and fully be realized when we merit that it should happen speedily in our days, right, right now.